the decision to move forward with with the boycott. That, that culture center I talked about, we had a, we had our own church in that culture center. We all stood up that day in church and individually commented on why. And one of my comment was, I'm doing this so nobody else will ever have to go through this. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm doing this, okay? So my vision was, I'm in the doorway with both arms spread open against the doors, making sure they don't close. That's right. And whatever sacrifice I have to make, that's what I'll have to make. But we shouldn't have to keep going through this crap as we do today. So <clears throat> those three words have always lived with me. But understanding a mother whose dreams were mm -hmm. I have a child that they most people don't didn't understand. How do you get a son in Syracuse? Mm -hmm. And she and she and, and when when they say you have a child in Syracuse, and she her head would be high up. That's right. Okay. Particularly since she only had a seventh grade education. Right. Okay. And when when people heard that my son was her son was a Syracuse uh, 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 at that point and even now even a Syracuse grad that they, she would look at them watch their jaw hit the table mm -hmm. trying to figure out how did you have how did you do that mm -hmm. how did you do that okay uh, because my mother was a domestic she did domestic okay mm -hmm. she also did catering my mother worked seven days a week and that's one of the reasons why I, I said to you earlier that I was thinking about quitting school. Because I saw that. I lived it. And it hurt. But what I had to do was give her a reason to continue to grind. Mm -hmm. and, I, and, I, and, I, and I made a, a comment with uh, Bill Withers says, Grandma's hands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I said that to my granddaughter some time ago. I said, I wish you had saw your grandmother's hands. You would understand what I'm talking about. Mm. What I'm feeling in relationship to trying to make her proud to be able to stand in anybody's space and know she's somebody. That's always been my duty. That's always been my mission is to make sure that I never ever mm -hmm. did anything to shame her name. So I went ahead 
fought these people, fought the system, mm-hmm. and then I um, so we lost that year. Every one of us lost that 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 year of football. Mm-hmm. Five of the guys graduated; they became seniors. So they had, that was their last year. <clears throat> I had to come back for my senior year. But I had I had left school earlier that uh, uh, that that fall no spring before you know my senior year, so <laughs> I had two incomplete grades that I had to complete. But this is how that materialized. I didn't get an invite to come back and play football. Um, that's my senior year. <clears throat> so when I uh, returned, but one thing they could do is take my scholarship. That's right. That's right. Okay. So as long as you maintain a, a 2.0 grade point average, mm-hmm. you could take my scholarship. So <clears throat> they used the excuse that I had the two incompletes that I had to get completed before I could get my package to register for school. I said, okay, here come the games. Okay. So, <clears throat> oh, you know what? Let me backtrack one more time. Sure, if absolutely. I- this is your story, so please. Let me backtrack and take you to one event that they also did that shows how they tried to impact us as individuals. I'm in the dorm. I get a call from a mother. My mother says to me, <clears throat> you got a letter from Selected Service. She said, what are you talking about? I got a letter from Selected Service. She says, this is a letter here from Selected Service. I said, well, open it. She said, I'm not opening this letter. She said, if I open this letter, I'm, I can go to prison. Because, you know, it's one of those letters, right? I said, Ma, open it. I won't tell nobody you did. So she opened the letter. <clears throat> In the letter, it stated that I needed to report to New Haven that next day. I said, what? She said, it says you got to report to New Haven, which is the next day. I said, is it a train ticket in? She said, yeah. I said, said, I said it's wow. one in there. I said, yep. I said, oh, okay. I said, all right. I said, well, evidently, I'm not going to be able to make that date because I'm here in Syracuse. But I knew we knew what happened. I was a student. I had a 2S deferment from being drafted. Because remember, in those days, late 60s, early 70s, they was pulling us off the street corners. Black people were being drafted like it was got liver pills, okay? So I said, Ma, don't worry about it. I'll take care of him up here. My roommate, Greg, got the same letter. I don't, I can't confirm the other guys, mm-hmm. but I know me and Greg got those letters. So we went over to the Dean of Mint because each year, 
they're supposed to be reporting the selected service if we're still in school. That's how we get the two S deferment. Okay. So we go to the Dean of Men's office. And the Dean of Men's says, we said, we just got uh, letters from selected service that we got to report. Don't, didn't you, didn't you uh, uh, send our paperwork over to selected service? <coughs> they would have checked the file. Oh, it, it, oh, we we overlooked it. You know, we didn't send. Oh, you didn't. Well, we can send them now. No, 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 no. You give me my paperwork right now. I will take it over to Selective Service in Syracuse. That's right. Okay, because as of tomorrow, I'm A W O L. That's I'm right. FBI would be knocking on my door, and they don't want to hear. Okay, so we took. The paper from the dean of men's office to select the service and gave them the paperwork and they said we'll handle it said good good i don't need nobody knocking on my door okay so that's how another step <coughs> that they took in order to get us that's what i call it mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay? so this is stuff going on now i'm telling you this oh i believe this, it okay this this is I'm giving you uh, the, the living history of what I experienced, mm -hmm. okay? But what was going on around that, you know, you don't normally know or wouldn't know unless it was told, okay? That's right. So now I jump back to going back to school. So I get there, I get my, and, and so I go see my two professors about the incompletes. And they were kind enough to recognize and realize what had transpired. They indicated to me, okay, John, what you do? Because I was a history major. I, I have a major in history and a minor in religion, mm -hmm. black religion, okay? So I, I just, I, I, believe, I always believe they were one and the same, okay? Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> I go see my professors. They in turn state to me, okay, John, Write us a 10-page term paper, double space, and you can pick any subject you want. And I said, I can do what? <laughs> pick any subject you want. And I said, okay, well, you know, I, I picked two, two black subjects, okay? And it was basically more about the civil rights movement, okay? Mm -hmm. So I turned in, I, it took me like two weeks to get there, okay? Doing my research. And, so I got the papers done. I give them to my professors. One gave me an A, another one gave me a B. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I go to the dean of men's office to get my package to register for school. Mind, mind you, I'm almost two weeks late now. Right. Okay. So availability is going to be somewhat limited or non-existent on getting in classes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I was able to, I was able to, I, I hustled and got it, but so when I go to the Dean of Men's to get my package, I said to him, um, he asked me, he said, John, what are you on? What are you here on? I said, I'm here on an athletic scholarship. I said, I got to play football. He said, they're waiting for you right now. I said, oh my, God, here we go. Now they're going to put me back in the, the slammer. That's what I looked at it as, okay? So I got... <laughs> I got I got my stuff and I'm, 
And so I went on over to the field house, Manly field house, and the um, uh, uh, the coaches. I went to the coach's office because mm-hmm. he's coaches. The coaches are waiting for you now. So I went to the coaches, and they said, "Hey, John, welcome back." You know, but you know the drill. So I had to go get my equipment. Got my equipment. Went out to, to you know to practice with you know. I still had guys that respected me and I respected that were right. my friends that were now seniors as well. Okay. <clears throat> so I went, you know, went through, did the practice. Now this is when it started to get funny. Not funny in the sense of hilarious, but funny because of what they were trying to do. So I told you one of the four demands was a black coach. Right. Well, they did hire a black coach. They did. Yeah, they did hire a black coach. Okay. But let me say it this way. He was not the advocate that we boycotted for. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. He was a placard. I can say you black don't mean you black. Okay. So he wasn't what we boycotted for. They mm-hmm. they found him. And I believe you, you, you'll see that in the book because I can keep you a, another two hours with just describing who this guy was. But <laughs> he wasn't what I boycotted for, okay? Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> this is when things started to look to get a little hairy here. He in turn, um, at the end of practice, this was on a Thursday. They were getting ready to go play Pittsburgh on that Friday. Uh, so one of the reasons why they wanted me back on the team is because the defensive end that I played, the guy that was playing it, he couldn't play the position. Ah, okay. Got it. Okay. So they more, they needed me more than I needed them. Mm -hmm. That's why they forced me back. Okay. Yeah. So, so what happened was, at the end of practice, they sent the black coach over to me. He comes to me and says to me, John, they want you to, and I, hey, let me tell you, okay? This is the first time I ever met him. Okay? I oh, really? Him. Yeah. I had, and that's another story in itself. We did not have a say in who they hired. Right. Okay? But some guys did that shouldn't have. And that's another, that's one another time and place. But so they when I that's why I met him when he came over to me <coughs> to tell me, John, they want you to go to Pittsburgh tomorrow. <laughs> I look at him and said, Go to what? He said, they want you to go to Pittsburgh. I said, after one day of practice. He said, well, they just want you to go and run down on kickoffs. I said, do what? He said, they want you to run down on kickoffs. Then I, when I explained to him and I said, coach, you may not be aware of this, which he wasn't. I said, I don't run down on kickoffs. I said, do I look suicidal to you? Because that's what they call kickoff team, mm. suicide drives. Okay? Yeah. So I said, so... Um, uh, 
um, I no, I don't think that's going to happen. Okay. So I explained to her, I said, well, first of all, why would you, why would they want to take a, another person's seat off the plane and put me in there just so they can go see me run out on kickoff? I said, that don't make no sense. None at all. So he, he, so he, he somewhat agreed. He said, well, you're right about that. I said, oh, I know I am. So he went back, explained my position to the coaches. He comes back and says to me, the coaches agree. Whether they do or not. They're not, right, exactly. Whether they do or not, I wasn't going. Okay? Because I saw what they were trying to do. But the reason why I'm saying an advocate, he should have never come to me with that. Mm-hmm. He should have cleared that up in the coach's office and explained to him, why would you want to do that? One day of practice after a year and a half layoff now. Right. One day of practice and you want him, why would you want to do that? You didn't, he didn't understand what they were trying to do. I caught it from the beginning. These guys are trying to hurt me. Okay. Even though they need me, they were trying to get me hurt. So they went to Pittsburgh. They lose the game. They come back, and then all of a sudden, uh, uh, that Monday, they uh, they have a post game show that Swarthwater does. So part of the conversation in that post game show was we hear that John Logan's back. Swarthwater makes the comment, "We don't know because he didn't come to practice today." That was that oh Monday. really? Oh, I I decided to quit. I I'm not letting these fool kill me. Right. Okay. So I decided to quit. That Monday evening, they come over to me. No, that Monday evening, I'm sitting out in front of the dorm with, with the other guys. We're just out there chit-chatting. One of the guys said, hey, John, come your coach. So they said to me, you want us to go? I said, no, you guys can sit here. You don't need you going. I ain't got nothing to say to this guy, okay? So he comes over to me and said, John, what you going to do? We need you at that position, bing, bing, bing. And I'm going to just say this. I went up one side of him and down the other. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> and it wasn't polite either. Okay. And I tried to explain, you know, I, you should have don't known better to do what you did, but you did what they told you to you do. do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now you over here begging me because, and I made, made, made a wrong assumption, but I believe I'm pretty right on this. That he came over and he took the abuse I put on him and kept saying, we need you. We're playing Boston College, which is this coming weekend. It's going to be a nationally televised game, and we need you at that defensive end. So all of a sudden, this fabulous light bulb goes off in my head, and I'm saying, wow, that'll give my, my, my brother and my sister and my mother a chance and family to see me play college ball. Right, right, yes. So I I took that as, as I said, that light bulb went off. And I said, well, you know what? Uh, okay, I'll be back. So I showed up at practice that Tuesday. 
played against Boston College that Saturday. This is after five days of practice. I'm nowhere in football shape because you would do two weeks of camp alone just to get to the field in. <clears throat> so I'm playing against Boston College. The announcers don't know who I am because I had number 90. But my name wasn't in the program. Nobody knew who I was. The only ones that knew was my family. Mm -hmm. Okay? They're laughing because they know it's me. But the announcers don't. And they're, they're making comments. <laughs> well, we need to find out who that number 90 is. Because there I was all over the place. <laughs> and so I love at it. Halftime, at halftime, they came back and made the comment, we now know who that number 90 is. Yeah, that's John Loban. He's one of the ones that boycott. Okay. That's how they announced me back as one of the, uh, that they knew who I was. And like I said, my mom and them home, they're laughing because they know it's me. They know it's you. Yeah. So after the game, I'm in a locker room. One of my teammates came to me and said, a pro scout is looking for you. I said, pro scout? He said, yeah, they're looking for you. So the, they, the, the pro scout came over to me and said, I can get you drafted in the NFL, no problem. <laughs> and I'm saying, well, I appreciate that, but and I appreciate, you know, you telling me, you know, that that's what you can do. But knowing that he needs to talk to the coaches and others, that the likelihood of that happening was nil to none. What mm. actually happened, because we actually got blackballed by the NFL. I know. That's why I, that's why yeah. I sighed, because I know that yeah. it happened. Yeah. 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 So uh, I finished up my my career, uh, that season, I played uh, 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 the other four games. Uh, that season ended up in Miami as my last game. And uh, so <clears throat> that was the end of my college career. Then uh, I came out, let's go. Thank God I didn't get any serious injuries mm -hmm. uh, um, because of, you know, one, uh, my, uh, my, my lack of, of, of getting prepared for football, but I did, I did in the, in the Boston college game, I got a, 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 a semi, my knee got wrenched a little bit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What happened was, uh, a lot of things are based on instinct and feel and, and any, any ball play on any sport will will know that you do certain things based on habit and instinct. I have very good peripheral vision. Mm -hmm. I side to side. And I don't care what it is, I can see it moving without looking at it. I had tackled this guy on the sideline. And um, what happened was I was over the guy at that point and one of their teammates came and I saw him coming and I knew what he was going to try to do. He's going to try to get my knee. 
I knew it. And what, what Hammond would have done was by the time I would have basically lifted my leg up so it wouldn't be locked on the ground. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he could go through me, but he wouldn't be able to jam me. Right. At that point in time, I knew what I should have done, but didn't do it. My instincts was that slow that I barely got it up. And he did jam me a little bit, but I wasn't going to let them know that. They didn't know that. I wasn't going to let them know that he got me. So I played the rest of the game with a sore knee, but I wasn't going to give them the opportunity to think they accomplished what they set out to do. So uh, very few people know that. Mm. Um, my roommate and you know friends that that's what happened okay so I in turn played like I said played the rest of the game uh, with a sore knee but it didn't stop the game I played gotcha okay so once I finished that gave up my you know and that was my 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 career at Syracuse then I came out and to play thought that you know maybe (coughs) I could Back door to NFL, trying to sneak my way in. That's why I tried to play with the Hartford Knights, uh, semi-pro. My roommate went to play in the Canadian Football League. They loved him up there. And they thought that, uh, you know, he would uh, be a benefit to their program. Mm-hmm. So they were basically set to sign him uh, in the CFL. So while I was playing with starting, you know, that year to play with the Hartford Knights, <clears throat> the coach at Cucho at the Hartford Knights made a comment to me. He said, John, somebody you know is coming in tomorrow, and I need to speak to both of you. And I'm trying to figure out who's coming here that I know. It wound up the next day was my roommate, Gray. They had cut him from the CFL because they found out or they were informed that he was one of the Syracuse eight. Mm. So um, there was some some big to do up there about that, okay? And one of our coaches, matter of fact, the coach that coached me in college, Joe Thomasy, he was at their camp one day. Mm. And Greg saw him. But this was right after an article that was written about Greg in Syracuse. That Greg was doing great in camp and looked like he was going to be a player for, for the team. Well, I don't think that set well with Swarthmore. He sent him up there I guess, to tell them who Greg was. When after Zombie was there, four days later, Greg was cut. And he wound up in Hartford. When we went in to see the coach after practice that day, Mm -hmm. he made the comment. He said, I'm going to be real with you guys. There's no need of you trying to go to the next level because you've been blackballed. They consider you militants, troublemakers, 
and they're not going to let you up in here to cause trouble in the NFL. That's when we knew there was no need to try to make it because we have already been labeled. And the NFL had already put us on, you cannot come here and lift. The year before, three of my other teammates, Al Newton, Dwayne Walker, and, 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 and Bucky, mm-hmm. uh, they went to the Jets camp when Eubank was the head coach of, of, the, of, the, of the, the Jets. He made a comment to them that he said, uh, Al Newton, Dwayne Walker, Bucky McGill, aren't you them Syracuse boys? Mm, mm, cut mm. that day. They got cut that day. So we knew at that point in time that you know what? Yeah, we're we're done. We're done. We're done. So at at that point, uh, uh, you know, we knew, and like I said, then I had no choice but to go ahead and and move on with my 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 life, you know. Married, have a son, got a family to take care of now, you know. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And so it, that was, uh, that was, uh, you know, where I went. But what I will say to you is this here. My Syracuse experience prepared me for what I was going to meet out in corporate America. Whereas, uh, and, 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 and this is, this is one thing that there was a report written then about the boycott, which was basically tabled. But some of the contents of uh, what was in the report stated and basically that we were right. Mm-hmm. We, say we were right. And, and this is what <coughs> a comment that was made in the report. The committee concludes that racism in the Syracuse University Athletic Department is real, chronic, largely unintentional, and sustained and complicated unwittingly by many modes of behavior common in American athletics and long-standing at Syracuse University. They know what they were doing. The, The word that bothers me in that comment it's unintentional. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What does that mean? You were doing it. You knew you were doing it. You were doing it. it. Yes, you exactly. It How could that be unintentional? Right, particularly and if so, it's systemic. It's systemic. That's what it is. Okay. <laughs> and so, um, <clears throat> so that's word has always bothered me. Everything else is correct, but that unintentional does not, it has never said well with me. Nor should have. No, because you, they were doing things, like I said, the Tupa rule was there for 40 years. Mm-hmm. You knew they were doing it. But it was unintentional. Okay? So, um, that's, this is a 39-page report that outlines briefly <coughs> what happened at Syracuse against us and so go ahead can we talk a little bit about uh the other john 
And, you know, you said that, and I'm tying this to you as well, too, because you said that, you know, some of the, the teasing, the ribbing, the, you know, the racist behavior towards him, he never really recovered from it. Right. So how do you not, or how do all of you really, but in particular you, how do you not be bitter or hold on to that bitterness? And how did you move on from that? Well, you know, what you learn to be is that, um, you know, we, we hurt for John. Because mm -hmm. we, and, I, and I'm saying this to you very, uh, very sincerely, we watched him disintegrate, okay? Mm -hmm. We actually watched him disintegrate because it took from him his only option. John mm -hmm. was prepared to go to the NFL. That was his focus, to never go back to Father Panic Village, okay? To never look at poverty in its truest form. And yet, his meal ticket was taken away. Mm -hmm. And we know we knew that. What what you know, and, and so you asked me in a sense of 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 of, of you know how did we um, um, not be bitter? Well, it took some growing. Okay, it took some growing because I couldn't afford to carry that baggage. Is part of my journey of, you know, uh, 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 of that. That's not me. And that's not uh, uh, my, uh, my, my, my understanding mm -hmm. of him. That, you know what, what I did was I learned from it. That, that that's why I said to you, it prepared me for what I was going to encounter. Yes. Outside, it gave me my foundation of, you know what? What good is it to be bitter? Mm. What's the benefit to it? What I chose to do was be better. I chose to make it whereas you didn't win. I, my, 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 my buddy, my buddy Greg gave a new meaning to what we did. And we have expressed that most recently. That you know, we saw we talk about a sacrifice. And in the sacrifice, you mm -hmm. would hope mm -hmm. that some good would come from it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My buddy one day he was doing a program and he made the comment. He stated that we didn't sacrifice, we gave Syracuse University a gift. 
that word, gift, that they had to now change their ways because we wasn't going to change ours. We knew what we were fighting for. We knew why we were fighting. And yet, yes, I gave up opportunity, but I didn't give up living. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. I didn't get it. So I fought then, but I got the strength that I needed from my mother. Mm -hmm. Them three words did come home because it said to me, I didn't fail. Right. I didn't want to fail. Mm -hmm. Failure was the was not an option for me. Right. And I didn't want that to be my legacy. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. That I failed. Or so the I legacy know, that they let you that they got rid of you or they sent you home. Right. They that they won. That's right. They did not win. They never won. They never won because I still maintain my integrity mm -hmm. and purpose because I knew it wasn't going to be easy. Right. So I always, I've always made the point. You know, we talk about being in the room. Yes. Well, that was my goal. Mm -hmm. To be in the room. But not only in the room, but at the table. At the table. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because we can stand in a room, but you don't get it done unless you're at the table. That's right. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So, I have for, for years, I've had the bitterness, but like I said, it wasn't, it wasn't, it was, the bitterness wasn't strong enough to hate, mm. but to, to cultivate, to, to, to make sure that you know what? Yes, I'm better than you because I could stand it. I can work it. Mm -hmm. I can survive it. And I can also say that you know what? I'm better than you. And what we've done over these years is come to the reality of the journey. That you know what? I can now sleep in peace. Yeah. Because everything is now coming forth the stating, you were right. Even though you were classified as a militant mm -hmm. or as a bad guy. I can, I can, I can breathe now. And the university has come to that understanding because for a number of years, we were always classified as the bad guy until 2006 when Nancy Cantor, the champion at Syracuse University came in to realize that no, they, we deserve to be apologized to. And she That's apologized right. to us, okay? Not once, but twice. She apologized for taking so long to apologize. Mm -hmm. Number two, because 
we should have apologized. To get the Chancellor's Medal for extraordinary courage mm-hmm. was, which is the highest you can get from a university, is the Chancellor's Medal. Okay, I got one. Number two, I'm also a letter winner of distinction at Syracuse University. And you know how how that materialized is because what happened is my life's work. Mm, that's right. Okay. My life's work was you get that based on what you do in your journey after. That's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So and so with that, I'm recognized at the university in two modes. A letter winner of distinction, which is basically their Hall of Fame. Okay? Because all athletes can get that if you're awarded the letter winner of distinction. And then the Chancellor's Medal, which is the coup de gras, um, was what, you know, uh, gave me the, uh, uh, the, 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 the ultimate. And what they finally came to realize, we weren't the bad guys. No, you weren't. And we had a conversation with administration, Floyd Little. Um, and um, they were talking about, because the book was now out. Mm-hmm. Okay, so people are now getting to read the book. So <clears throat> there was a call about, you know, you know, what, you know, what, 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 what do we plan on or what we intend to do as we move forward? And we made it, me and my, me and my buddy Greg, we have been the ambassadors for Syracuse University as members of the Syracuse 8. Right. And we made that, you know, that look, uh, you know, we don't have no animosity, but they were talking about reconciliation. We try to make, understand, reconcil- what, what, we don't have anything to reconcile. We did what we did because we thought we needed to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, they were trying to get where we need to reconcile with the white ball players. I said, no, I do not. I yeah, you no did nothing reason. wrong. <laughs> I, 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 why would I reconcile something I didn't do wrong? I didn't do anything wrong to reconcile. Mm-hmm. And what the comments that were made because people were still up there and still are there today. They're trying to make sure that we do not continue to be recognized for our value. Wow. And what was made by these administrations over this conversation, over this phone call, we know who the bad guy is and it ain't you. Because we know they know there's hate still there. Mm-hmm. Because they, they still admire Ben Swartzwater. We, like we said, because one of the comments were made, they were unveiled Ben Swartzwater's uh, uh, statue over near the Carrier Dome. So the, the comments were made that the Syracuse 8 was going to come up there to, uh, you know, uh, uh, demonstrate. <laughs> so I said, <laughs> Where did y'all get that from? Uh, well, you know, well, this was this was Floyd Little making the comment. He said, "Well, they're saying that you guys may come up there to demonstrate." I said, "Floyd, 
let me explain something to you. From my house to the campus of Syracuse University is 240 miles. Well, he said, well, ain't that far. I said, I am not driving 240 <laughs> miles to, 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 to demonstrate anybody's story. I mean, trope, uh, 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 statue. I said, and what, what was the reason for it? Because they felt that, you know, we were going to come there to tear him down. We actually gave them a reason to do what they were doing. Ben Swartzwaller was a war hero. No ifs, ands, and buts about it. He was a war hero, okay? So, and we made it known. We said, we know Ben was a war hero. Hey, but the decision to put a statue up of, of Ben Swartzwaller, that's on the university. Ain't got nothing to do with us. Right. Okay? We don't have no say in that. So, <clears throat> what the university did was, after we fed them that, they knew it, but we fed them what I think they were happy to hear. They, <laughs> unveiled, they unveiled that statue on Veterans Day. Didn't have anything to do with football. It had to do with his status as a veteran. Well, and particularly since his last few years at Syracuse, the team was pretty much going to pieces, wasn't it? I mean, it really, really oh, wasn't no, they, doing they, that well. They, 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 they lost so much respect, especially within the black environment. Mm -hmm. They couldn't recruit black ballplayers, you know, because what happened was um, other universities used it against them. Oh, got it. Okay? This is what happened. If a ball player Syracuse was interested in a, a ball player and they went to another school and they indicated that Syracuse is interested in, they would say to him, why would you go there? Look right. what they did in Syracuse 8. That was it. That's why at a point in time they knew <clears throat> that they needed to have been retired or whatever. Mm -hmm. Because it started they couldn't recruit black ball players because of the boycott in 1970. And because and, of his and because of his horrid behavior. Right, right. Well, you know, uh, you know, they will never I know. You know they will never ever, okay. Uh, and like we said, and, and I and I will say this to you, okay, and I'm, and I'm saying it in sincerity, okay. I've always got to ask the question. <laughs> Was Ben Swartzwall a racist? My answer is, I can't, I can't answer that. Because I didn't know him as an individual. Mm -hmm. I knew him as a coach. And I was not in his, involved in his daily life. So I was not in every crack and crevice to know how racist or unracist he was. So for me to say he was a racist, I can't say that. Okay. Because I can't put my hand on it because I didn't. Yeah, he may have racist tendencies, okay? Or he may have done things that, uh, that were uh, 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 unfair, but hell, everybody do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. You're right. So, he wasn't, the, here's the thing, he wasn't there by himself doing it. No, no, he was, 
he he was comfortable in what he was doing. Exactly. Now, okay? and they were comfortable but allowing he, him to do it. Right. And that's that was the key. Okay. So <clears throat> for me to, to say that he was a racist, I said I can't say. And, and, and matter of fact, one of the things within the book, if you look at it, because David Mark felt that he was. David didn't like what he was, was researching. Mm -hmm. And David wanted to call it out. And we told him, you can't do that, David. That's not our chore here. Right. And the book That's is about you all, not about No, this him. is death. No. Let the, let, let the reader make that determination. Mm -hmm. We don't need to feed it to them. Let them read the book and make the determination whether Ben was a racist or not. And if you read it for what it is and you're realistic in what you see, I, you know what you'll come to as a conclusion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. I don't need to tell him, tell you that he was a racist, nor am I defending him in relationship to whether he was or was not. Because like I said, I can't call him a racist because I didn't know him, but I know he had racist tendencies. Whether okay. that makes him full-blooded racist or not, that's your call. That's not mine. Mm -hmm. I got my viewpoint on it. I got my understanding of it. And that's how I tend to live with it. And that's, wow. you know, that's, uh, you know, and like I said, uh, you know, what I did was, you know, one of my, and like, like, I, like I'm saying right now, one of my um, benefits of having a Syracuse degree, mm -hmm. it got me into the room. Yeah. Okay. And, but it also made them understand that I'm not just some, some wooly poot here. Mm -hmm. Okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm coming in here with credentials. Okay? Right, exactly. Don't don't look at me as just a black man, okay, with nothing to offer. Right. Because everything that I uh, uh, achieved or was involved with, my goal was to never allow them to use my name as the reason to deny. Mm -hmm. So when I like I said. I was not only in the room, I damn sure wanted to make sure I was at the table and expressed and, 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 and there all the challenges that I had and dealt with mm -hmm. through my banking career and through my uh, state career. You know, uh, as a banker, I, uh, I, I achieved goals that I became, uh, I, I went through a mechanic savings bank as a trainee. Eight of us in the training program, seven of them white got their branches. They made me assistant manager. Okay. Mm. And then when what, what happened was why I left there <coughs> was the, one of the men, the branch I should have gotten, which was ironically on Farmington Avenue, next to uh, uh, the, uh, the pharmacy, right there in that little corner, there was a branch, mechanic savings branch. That was a branch I should have gotten. Mm -hmm. But they gave it to a guy who was in mortgages. They called me one day and said, John, we need you to go over to the branch because Tom needs some assistance. I said, hell yeah, that's Tom Brand. What you need me to go over there for? Well, some guy came in and threatened that he would return and this and that. 
Oh, oh, I know what you I said, okay, I'll go. But I call 911 like anybody else will. Right. I'm not going to use me as no bodyguard. Okay. So they finally called me back and said, John, never mind, you don't have to go. I said, fine. Okay. But you all think that I'm going to go and stand between him and that, that customer? <clears throat> you out your mind. That's like you lost so, your whole entire mind. Yep. So it didn't take me long to leave there. And I went to Hartford National Bank where I went from a uh, trainee to an assistant vice president. And in, in that seven year period that I was there, uh, I I became uh, you know branch manager. And then I also became an area manager. And then uh, 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 they brought me in. I became a problem solver for them. I fixed the branches, Unity Plaza, Homestead Avenue. When I was at Homestead, I uh, uh, I had some issues with uh, how they treated the North End of Hartford. Mm. And so I was an advocate and fought for, you know, you do the same thing you do in West Hartford, any place else. You don't treat us as second-class citizens over right, here. Right, Okay. Right. So there was some incidents that happened uh, at, uh, at Homestead Avenue where I had to call senior management out to the branch and run one, run, run up one side of them and down the other. And it ain't pretty, okay? Because I don't have a problem telling you what I've And so I, in turn, once I got finished with them and told them, if they ever do it again, you ain't got to worry about nobody coming in here. Okay. Right. So uh, <laughs> next thing I know, next thing I know, I'm getting a call. They want me to, uh, excuse me for a second. Mayor. Sure. They wanted me to um, um, come run the head office. I said, come run the head office. Because see, like I said, I was a problem solver. I fixed mm -hmm, the issue. Mm -hmm. So, but in order for me to get that assignment, they took it all the way to the board of directors. So the board of directors said, that's a management decision. Why is this here? I'm not sure. Do you remember Edith Gaines? Mm-mm. Edith Gaines was used to be the superintendent of schools in Hartford. Yeah, I'm not from here. That's your, just a quick okay. reminder. Okay. Yeah. No okay. worries. We're good. Okay. All right. No, Edith Gaines was the first female black superintendent of school in the city of Hartford. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. So, Edith Gaines was on the board of Hartford National Bank. Ah, Edith, okay. Edith yelled out. You want to know why it's here? Yeah, why is it here? Because he's black. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason why I know what happened is because of, uh, uh, um, the president's attorney was Hispanic. And you, you notice that I, I did work with the Hispanic community mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. on the board and stuff like that. So he was right there. He said, yeah, she blurted it out. Yeah, because he's black. And so and so the board looked queries and they said, okay, well, since it's here, we'll vote on it. I got a unanimous vote 
to come run the head office. This was their problem. The head office could never pass an audit. And what happens is that's worked in your favor or it could be a negative. Right. If you can't can't work, can't pass an audit, that means you ain't doing stuff right. Right, okay? exactly. So, but Unity Plaza passed audits. Homestead Avenue passed audits. Okay. So I go down, they take me, bring me down to the head office to become the branch manager. Mind you, I'm the first black to ever manage that head office in 200 years. 200. The bank was 200 years old before they got the first black. Holy cow. So I'm a first there. Yeah, I got a lot of firsts too. Okay. But so they said, John, we need you to come and, you know, fix the head office. I said, okay, fine. Well, can you do it in six months? I said, six months? Hell, you ain't <laughs> did it in 20 years. What makes you think I'm fixing it in six months? First of all, I need to pick my team in order to go make that happen. Okay, John, you can pick whatever you want, bing, bing. But, you know, I said, no, you give me a year, we'll get it done. I can't fix this thing in six months because I don't know what the hell the problems are, okay? <clears throat> so the person I needed was Marie Goulet, who was a, a French-Canadian. She taught me operations at Harper National because at that time you had savings banks and commercial banks. They were two different entities. They operated differently. Okay. You can't say you can't you can't separate them now, but then you could, okay? So I in turn uh, uh um you know got her because it was two functions. You had a platform person who ran the loans and new accounts and stuff, all that on one side. And then you had operation, which is where all the issues, if they're going to be issues, are going to be there. Okay. So Marie had taught me how to operations. So I was able to get her from across the street from the Connecticut River branch, which was housed in the Travelers Building. I brought her over with me to the head office. <clears throat> so we in turn um, teamed up. The first thing we had to correct in there, there was there was issues with uh, uh, with people where they believed that they there was a class issue here. The tellers were always considered on the low end of the totem pole. The platform people were looked at with you know you you got you know you got a little bit more savvy to you because you're sitting on the platform, okay. Mm-hmm. The tellers, the tellers were operational people. Well, I don't have, we, I don't, I always said, as, as a as a, a manager, we all go up together or we all go down together. But I'm not gonna side with one side or the other. But we all got to conform in order to make this work. So the first thing I had to do was break that wall down between the platform and the operational people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, what my what what I brought into play was I said, first of all, the people on the platform side, and the operational side, they don't know they got the same likes and dislikes. Okay, mm-hmm. so what they need to do 
is I need to find, let them understand that they're both the same. So what we came up with to create that I came up with <coughs> is we had birthday of the month. Everybody's birthday in January, February, whatever, we all celebrated their birthdays right. at one time. I'd buy a cake, memory buy a cake. We, it was mandatory. You had to go to the conference room and celebrate your birthdays. Okay. 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 Now, all of a sudden, these people in there, even though they got their nose up at each other and stuff like this, they now had to talk to each other. Mm-hmm. In that process, they got to understand, damn, they got kids, they got families, they got relationships, they got this and that. Now they're talking to each other, but there's no wall there. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, wow, these people are now going to happy hour together and doing this together, exchanging. So what you have right now is you have now what we came to develop was a family. That's right. I always, I always considered my operations as family, okay? And so with, with, the, with the family structure, they in turn start to understand there ain't no difference. There's no difference. So now I got them to now start to respect each other. People from the platform needed stuff. They knew who to come to to get that done. Okay. Now, mind you, like I said, tellers were always looked at as the low, lowest on the totem pole. And so a lot of times they would get disrespected because <clears throat> the head office was 26 stories. You got a lot of senior management and executive management up in that building. They come down, they want people to jump when they show up. So at a point in time, they were in turn trying, they were trying to intimidate the tellers. Yeah, I cut that off at the knees. Mm, I bet you did. I, I cut it off at the knees. I said, look, and actually what I did when I told senior manager, I don't care who it was, you don't come down here and disrespect nobody. Okay? Because they're a teller, they're an employee just like you are. That's right. They got a job to do just like you do. So we will help you get your job done but you're going to have to do it our way. You ain't going to come down and just demand that somebody stop and do something. No, 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 no. Not here. Okay. So um, what we did was we started allegating two of the tellers to deal with the building. If anybody comes down, has a need, they need to get a check or something like that. They go to these two tellers. So then you have to stand in the regular line. They have their own line. Okay. And then when we didn't have that need for uh, special services for people, then those tellers would take care of the customers as well. So it wasn't that they didn't do anything. It was just we made sure that at least the build people in the building, because they can't just come down and stand. They need to get it done and get that's out. That's right. That's right. Okay. So that's what we did. We provided that get down, get in, get out. Okay. But the word went back upstairs. If you got an issue downstairs, you go see John. You don't tell my teller you you did something wrong with. You got to you come see me, okay? Mm-hmm. Okay, because you ain't gonna. Well, I'm a senior vice president, and you know I 
I don't give a damn who you are. Okay? And it went back up in that building. God don't care who you are. You got an issue, you see him. You leave his tellers alone. Okay? Even to the point that even the president of the bank, I call I still call him, he's passed, but I still call Mr. No. He was the president of the bank. When he came in the morning, he walked past my desk and said, good morning, John. And I said, good morning, Mr. When he left that day, he walked past my desk and said, good night, John. And I said, good night, Mr. No. Okay. Now, I'm going to jump before I got to Harvard National, what happened. Okay. When I, would, when I was interviewed for a job at Harper National Bank on the 26th floor, I was with senior management. They came in because they heard I was with Harper National. Uh, a, a very close friend of mine was in personnel and mm -hmm. said, won't you come over here? So I said, okay, it's a different issue, but I come over there. So I, when I did my interview with Harper National Bank, one of the questions was asked, John, if we hire you, what's your goal? I said, it'd be president. They, it was a little chuckle down there. And I made the comment. I said, why can't that be my goal? I said, I may not get there, but why can't it be my goal? Everybody hushed up, sat back. The next day I got the call, we want to hire you. Wow. I didn't have, okay. And the reason why I said it, because I know Mr. New, who was president of the bank, he became the president from a teller. Hell, that's the, that's the lowest on the totem pole, a teller. But he became president? That's why I made the comment I made. Why can't it be my goal? Right, exactly. Because he showed that it could be done from a teller to the president of the bank. That's right. You're talking about one of the most awesome people in the world. He was awesome because he was, because he came from there. He knew what it was. He knew what I was doing. Okay. Now, <clears throat> I always, like I said, a lot of managers, which was what was told to me, was a lot of managers would not let the, the employees do their jobs because they were afraid of them doing their jobs. So they always micromanaged. I said, I don't micromanage nobody. Hey, you got a job to do, you do it, okay? And I don't care because a lot of those managers were concerned about, about them losing their job to those who they train. I said, I don't care if you, if you take my job, that tells me I'm a damn good teacher. So I've never feared that. But I always wanted to be, and my ultimate goal, Vera, was this here. Mm -hmm. When I go mm -hmm. on vacation, when I go on vacation, I don't want to have to worry about this place. That's right. It, that's it, right. Okay. It will take care of itself. Itself. That's, that's right. It's been my goal. Okay. So I, I go ahead. You know, we working it. I'm getting all my people, my unit heads and, and stuff like that to do. And one day we were, one of my unit heads <coughs> was, a, a teller was out of bounds. So I'm, I'm watching. I said, "What are you doing?" He said, "Well, John, and I, I and I and I didn't have you didn't have to call you call me by my name, okay? Mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. always want I always want you to be comfortable in my environment, okay? You don't have to call me Mr. Lobar, 
you call me John, okay? Mm-hmm. You can do that when you see a customer or whatever. But if we one on one, you call me by my name. Right. So I said to you, know, I said, well, well, don't you have to balance the branch? Yeah, but I got, I said, no, 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 no. I said, don't you want to go home? Yeah, but I said, and I do too. Well, you go balance the branch, I'll take care of this audit. He said, we ain't never had no manager do this. I said, well, you ain't never had a manager like me either, okay? So I took the person, I took the audit. I said, okay, tell me what the number is. They gave me the number. It was like uh, 340.51. I said, okay, now, and I taught them something. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, what's the first thing you need to look at if you're looking for that number? Well, you know, I said, no, you don't count no cash. I said, you don't do anything that has round numbers. What do you think that number would fit? Well, it's gotta be a transaction. It's gotta be a payment. Yeah. So you go back and you recalculate your payments. That's right. That's right. Okay. They went back and recalculate the payments and found they had double posted. She, She says to me, how did you know that? I said, the number told me. I said, that's how you backtrack on the audit. Let the number tell you where you need to go. That number told me when the 34041 was the number, that had nothing to do with your cash, <laughs> your monies, or anything. It had to do with either a payment or double posting. Mm-hmm. That's what she found. So I said, so from now on, if you find yourself out of balance, let the number determine. I said, if it was 500, what would you have done? I would check my cash. That's what I'm talking exactly, about. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Let the number dictate to you where you need to go. Quite naturally, she learned that. They all learned. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so, audit showed up eight months later. They gave me six, but less than a year. Audit came in. Passed the audit. Freaked them completely out. Oh, man. He passed the audit. Yep, that's what you wanted me to do. That's what you okay. asked me to do. That's, that's hey, I, that's what you want. I, I came and fixed it. Now, this is the thing. All those managers that were there before me and failed, they were AVPs. When they went on next to their next cushy job, because after you do the head office, you need to go to a retirement home. That's what we call them. You know, okay. go out there, go small branch, <laughs> yes. put your brain back in your head and stuff. Mm-hmm. So go mm-hmm. to a small branch. But all of them that failed went as vice presidents. They were VPs. I went on to my next assignment. I came in as an AVP, left as one. So I said, well, okay, fine. That is what it is. But I'm not concerned about title. What's the compensation? Right. Show me the money. Okay. Well, we go, John, we're gonna take care. You're gonna give you some compensation, bang, bang, bang. I said, okay, fine. All right. Because you no, know, because see, they're not in that industry, not, not, not only hung up on, they're hung up on titles. Mm-hmm. They're all hung up on titles. You know, I'm I'm VP, I'm I'm a I'm a executive VP on the scene. I'm higher than you because I got that extra title. In, in front of my v, in front of my VP, senior, executive, whatever. So 
you know, that's where you, you think you got the status. I don't care about that, okay? So at that particular point in time, um, I went to Bloomfield, Capaco, mm -hmm. right there where, where like McDonald's is. And right yes, now, oh yes, uh-huh. That's where Harper National used to be. It was a standalone building right there, okay? Mm -hmm. So I went there because they had problems. And when I got there, I had the same problems I had at Unity, Homestead, and head office where the employees were not doing their job description. And I told them, that's what you have to do. Mm -hmm. What's in your job description is what you're going to do. Not me, but you. And now, once again, they came back. Well, the manager never let us do that. I said, hey, that manager i said do you want to grow in this institution that's right okay if you want to grow you need to know and anything you want to know you let me know and we'll get it done because i'm not afraid of you growing i want you to grow every one of those branches that i left were taken over by employees that learned how to run the operation okay all my Head tellers, unit head, they all knew. And see, very, which I always told them, it ain't complicated to pass an audit because there's a book there and it has boxes in the book. They're daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, semi-annually, and annually. All those boxes on that, that is probably a, a, a 11 by 18 sheet, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. They got boxes. If I'll tell you, I told you, if you make sure all the boxes are filled, you're going to pass the order. I said, that's how simple this is, is. Don't make it complicated. And I told them how to get to certain things. I said, now, for example, if you do an audit on a teller, you don't do everything routinely because then they, if they knucklehead, then you, you, they, they'll know when to do what they got to do in order to avoid getting caught, okay? And we right. had, I, had, I had to set a brother up on that when he, he thought he was slick and then, you know, we, we got his ass, but sorry, he mean nothing like that. But <clears throat> I said, okay, this teller you do at the beginning of the month. I said, next month, you do them at the end. The next month after that, you do them in the middle. You don't let them know when they gonna be ordered, but you get them done. I said, Let's say, for an example, you got to accumulate and count the bonds, the savings bonds for the quarter. Mm -hmm. What makes you think you can't do them at the beginning of the quarter? Well, that ain't the quarter. No, 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 no. You do them at the beginning of this quarter, but you may do them at the end of the next quarter. So the key is that you did it. And once you do it, you determine whether or not things are right or wrong. Right. But you don't have, you don't have to wait to the last minute to do them. No, that's not how you get it done. That's how they start to understand how to make audits work for mm -hmm, them. Mm -hmm. At that point, um, I had waited for them to give me my compensation at at, 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 at Capaco, okay? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And in Hemden Hall. Well. I submitted my letter of resignation. My letter of resignation said, hey, you know, you probably come that thing. So they told me to pull it back. I pulled it back. 
I waited three more months. Didn't happen. I submitted it again. You know I ain't going to pull it back now. This time, right, exactly. But this is it. So <clears throat> I went ahead. So once you do that and you got a date, you got to go to um, to the head office, mm-hmm. HR, to do an exit interview. If you're an officer, they have to want to find out why you're leaving. Well, I went to do an exit interview with Eileen Krause, who eventually became president of Big uh, <laughs> Bank. At that point in time, it changed over, went to Connecticut River, Connecticut Bank, and Connecticut Bank, and then it went Fleet Baltimore because that's when anybody's trying to buy each other up. Right. Well, he was HR person. And so I went to do my exit interview with her. She was a CVP at that point. So she said, John, you've done everything this corporation asked you to do. You've changed our name in the community. We have now more respect than this. And I said, Eileen, that's what you asked me to do. I said, but when it came time for me. That's right. Him and all. I said, so I really don't have any option. And I said, you know what, Eileen, the reason why I'm going, she said, why? I said, slavery over with. She sat back in her chair. She said, yeah, I guess you're right. I said, Eileen, I know I am. I'm nobody. That's why I got to go. I walked out of Harper National Bank, didn't have a job in the future. I didn't know where the hell I was going to get my next dime from. Okay. The wife was working, you know, so I went on out. I said, because to me, my principles are more important than me. That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's what I believe. Those are my principles. So I went on out of there. And eventually, after a year, that's when I started my career with the state of Connecticut, where I was for 29 years. Okay, but this is this is the ironic part. One of the ironic parts was when uh, when uh, uh, when Eileen Krauss retired as president of Fleet Bank, they held a reception for her in downtown at the 777 Main Street. That's the head office where I ran that branch. This was the unique part. I walked in the building from the back, which is really the only way you can get in there because the other front door is locked and stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, so I, I walked in the back. All of a sudden, you see everybody's head turn, looking at me. Who is this black guy coming in here? Mm-hmm. So um, and it may be a couple of other black people in there, but I mean, it was... Yeah, you, it was I, I'm looking at it, laughing inside and saying, they trying to figure out who the hell I am, okay? So I walk in, Eileen was talking to someone with her back to me. Eileen finished the conversation and she turned and saw me. She said, John Logan. I said, Eileen Krause. And she stopped everybody in the party. She said, hold it, everybody. Let me introduce you to John Logan. He used to run this operation. <laughs> and, and, and everybody now got comfortable because they thought I was a stranger up in here. No, I used to run this branch, okay? And she let everybody in that room know it. And that's that's the friendship that we had. That's uh, right. Okay, within uh, within my, my bank, because she understood exactly what I was saying and that the job that I had done 
that what they wanted me to do, I had accomplished, but yet, at that point in time, the, the president, Mr. New, I was talking about, the respect, he had retired. They brought in this young maverick and, and he was there, but he was all about himself. He wanted to get on, he wanted to get on Wall Street. Okay, he wanted, okay. He wanted to be one of the Fortune 500s. And they finally realized what he was all about. And they finally drop kicked his butt, you know, over the years. But, uh, but uh, uh, that was that was you know, like I said, they knew who I was, and everybody knew that if I'm if I'm if you're gonna deal with me, don't come in and half stepping. But if you're gonna half step, I ain't playing. Okay, I will send you where you need to go. The hell up on out of here, and and then. Uh, let me let me close by this because I didn't realize we've been on here for a while here. Okay, and I've loved every single minute of it. <laughs> okay, okay. So I've given you a lot of material. Here That's so well. good. That's so, great. Okay, okay. So <clears throat> let me let me let me say this to you. I went into with the state, and then I I ran the, the Urbank program. Mm -hmm. which, I remember that. I said, okay. in fact, when I first met yeah. you, you were with Urbank. Right. I did that for 19 years, okay? I helped minority and women-owned businesses attain over $65 million in loans and credit. And, you know, the thing that, you know, one thing that I had, that 10 years of banking mm -hmm. gave me the experience of all of it, from the savings environment to the, to the mentality of, of, of those institutions and how they looked at us. And, and, you know, because those days when I was in that environment, there wasn't a whole lot of us in that, okay? A whole lot of us not in banking, okay? So <clears throat> other than in management, let me say it that way, in the management aspect of it, we might've been tellers and stuff like that, but we wasn't managers and management in relationship to the overall structure of the uh, of the business itself. So I knew, and like I always said to him, yeah, you may not have given it to me, but I know how you operate, okay? I always always said, you know, you showed me how you use the money because that's what their commodity was, was money, okay? So when I got, when I got the, the to run the Urbank program, I, that was given to me by uh, Governor Weicker. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's a funny story how I got this. Um, the Urban Bankers had an association, which I was a member of when I was in banking uh, at some point in time. Uh, so um, the Urban Bankers made a comment that they were trying to create this program you know, it was a cap program, a capital access program, which was being explored throughout the country at that point in time, where you was trying to work, the states uh, uh, were trying to work with the banks and try to create ac access to capital uh, for minority and women-owned businesses. Then they also put up these, you know, these, uh, uh, these, these, these units where, you know, like HEDCO and them would be used to also use uh, state and bank funds to finance uh, minority and women-owned businesses. So, yeah. so 
they Wagner said that he was going to have somebody in that running that program the next day. So I come into work that morning. I'm with that, you know, with uh, 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 um, with the economic development at that point. I hadn't moved over to Connecticut Development Authority yet, mm-hmm. but, but that, you know, so they said, "I'm walking in the door, John. We got to go. We got to go where? We got to go see the governor. Go see the governor for what? Well, he said he gonna put somebody in this position by the day, and we think you're the one that should get. You should run the program." I said, "Well, okay." So I go down to the Capitol. I see Governor Weicker. So we're in the room. So they're describing who I am. I said, yeah, John Logan is a graduate of Syracuse University, Bing, Bing, Bing. We think he should be able to one to run, run this program. Mm-hmm. So Weicker says to me, he says, okay, who's my favorite player? I said, Art Monk. <laughs> he, said, he said, you got the job. That's how simple it was. Who's my best player? Art Monk. You got the job. So my boss to be at that point was Tony. Tony said, John, how'd you figure that out? I said, it was simple. Okay. This is why you got to know who you're talking to and what you're dealing with. Okay. What I'm saying to you is this. Governor White was a senator in D.C. Who do they like? The Washington Redskins. They all support Washington Redskins, okay? Who did Art Monk play for? He played for the Washington Redskins. He was a dynamite receiver for the Redskins, but he's also a graduate of Syracuse University. Uh, That's how simple he was. Because as soon as he said, I knew what he was done. Because they mm-hmm. told him, That's how. That's how simply I put that together. Because I understood where he was, what he did, and that was the only name I knew would come out because he was the only one with the Redskins was from Syracuse. So that's how I got that job. And then, you know, I was involved with uh, 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 the Special Olympics, which I didn't know his, he, one of his sons was involved with Special Olympics. And I ran into him at uh, the University of Hartford, which I helped organize to get the University of Hartford to participate in Eastern Region Games and Weaver High School, which is where I attend, to do the track stuff. And University of Hartford did, you know, the aquatics and stuff like that. He came to that program and I was standing, and he said to me, he said, John, how's the program? I'm thinking, he don't probably have even remember, well, brother, I was probably <laughs> only two black folks in the room anyway. He came straight to me, he said, John, first name and everything, John, how, how's the program going? I said, Governor is still is still doing what we decided to do. I said, okay, I thought it was in good hands. So that's where I got to do that. And in the process, I had to work with the banks. But I see, I understood the banks. I understood what their mentality was. And I'm gonna give you a, a couple of incidents where they got confronted by me because I put them where they should have been put, okay? Don't come in here. There was a, uh, we had a meeting when at, uh, at the CDA where the Bank of Boston came in to sell what they're doing with their lending and this and that. Well, my boss asked me, was I going to the meeting? I said, I wasn't invited. He said, well, I'm mm. inviting you. I said, okay, fine. 
Well, quite naturally, the bank is sitting on one side of the conference room, the state is sitting on the other side. Well, um, they started to go, you know, telling all these fabulous stuff that they're doing. So, but everybody knows me. Got it. Yep. Okay. When I'm sitting in the chair, I sit back. You don't need to see me. You just, you don't know I'm there, but you're going to have to see me. So they're talking all this, they're talking this stuff. So all of a sudden, it's my side of the table, see me move forward. Because <laughs> when I move forward, I'm getting ready to let loose up in here. Okay. I move forward. And everybody basically put their head down because they know I ain't biting my tongue. So I said to them, I said, look, you need to know who you're talking to in here. Right. That all this that you're talking about, I said, none of you sitting at this table will go down on Albany Avenue and ask them businesses what they need. Mm. I said, so all these fabulous and glorious things that you're talking about, it ain't happening on Albany Avenue. And I sat back in my chair. My boss after that meeting said, John, did you see their faces when you told them that? I said, Tony, I didn't give a damn. I'm just telling them they need to know who they're talking to when they're trying to sell this crap. Okay. So <clears throat> after I slammed them there, okay, maybe two, three weeks later, do you know they sent a limo to my house? Oh. To have me go to Boston to sit on a credit committee in Boston because I slammed them like that, okay? That's one. Number two, SBA. SBA asked to meet with me. My One of my colleagues, David, uh, said, John, SBA wants to meet with you. I said, David, you sure they want to meet with me? He said, John, they said they want to meet with you. I said, okay. Okay, because this is when, when Chris Jackson was running the Entrepreneurial Center. Yes, at, yes, at yes, yes. Bahamut College of Women. Yep, yeah. uh -huh. I remember that very well. Okay, me and her partnered up because Chris was no joke either, okay? And so, uh, so I said to David, go back and ask him again. They sure they want to meet with me. He went back and said, yeah, they want to meet with you. I said, David, they ain't going to like what they're going to hear. He said, well, they want to meet John. I said, okay, fine. So we had a meeting in our conference room. They brought the regional guy from Boston into, Hop into Rocky Hill. And they brought Connecticut region person in, uh, it was like four of them that represent the SBA. Dave was there at the meeting myself. So, um, so they said to me, John, can you tell us how we can penetrate the minority community? I said, yeah, I can tell you. He said, here you go. I said, first of all, when a minority entrepreneur comes to you to access capital, now, 500, 1,000, $5,000 may not seem like a lot of money to you, but that may be their life saving. Okay? Mm -hmm. I said, so when they come to you looking for assistance, if they ask you for 50, thousand you give them 25. I said so that's when you dig the hole okay 
you've now dug the hole because you've already undercapitalized him. Right. So I said, a year or two from now, they come back to you and ask you for additional assistance. You tell them you can't help them because they're now in trouble. So you now bury them. You throw the dirt on the hole. I said, so um, you want to know why you can't penetrate the minority community? Yeah, can you tell us why? I said, because they don't trust you. I said, mm-hmm. like I told you, you ain't gonna like what you're gonna hear here. Okay, I'm not. I'm not here selling you, you know, platitudes. Right. I'm not here to make you feel better either. Okay, no, I'm gonna tell you the truth. So I said, that's what happened because they don't trust you. No, you back up. I said, you know, the best marketing tool in the world. Yeah, what's that, John? I said word of mouth, and the word in the street is don't trust you. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's your problem. Okay. Uh, no, matter of fact, let me go back another step. At the beginning of the meeting, when they said to me, John, can you tell us how we can penetrate the minority community? I said, the first thing you need to do is get somebody in the room and look like me. That, that's when the meat went right off the edge of the table. I said, because, you know, with y'all sitting up in the air, y- y'all, ain't, y'all, y'all ain't giving nobody no comfort because, the mere fact, they don't think you believe in them anyway. So, I also did an event at uh, with, with with Gene at the Entrepreneurial Center. So I made a comment. I said to um, uh, you know those you know would be entrepreneurs. I said, well, let me tell you how to how you play the game. What the hell are you getting ready to tell? I said, okay, if you need fifty thousand, ask for seventy five. <laughs> Person from the SBA said, <laughs> I said, they still got to prove they need 75, but at least they can't. You can't back them down to 25, you back them down to 50. Is what they exactly what they need. So I told them, overemphasize what you, because if you ask for exactly what you need, you're not going to get it. That's how that functions out here. Okay. They're not going to give you what you need, they'll give you less than. So if you want exactly what you need, over ask. Right? I said, oh, yep. Okay. I said, I don't see no problem with that. I said, they still got to prove it. Okay. They asked for 75, they got to prove it. If not, maybe they'll get what they're asking for, which is that what they want is really the 50. Okay. So uh, there was a, a, a event at the Connecticut Convention Center where they were talking about the program. I mean, David was doing the lead. I was doing something else. So I happened to sneak into the room and they spotted me. Hey, oh, there's John. He runs the Urban Bay. John, why don't you come on up here? I'm, you know, I'm under my breath. I ain't happy because that's not what I came in here for. Okay. So at the end of that presentation, the person that was heading the SBA came over to me and introduced himself. And he his first thing out of his mouth was, uh, John, they told me you may not speak to me. Whoa. Yep, that's what, that was the first thing out of his mouth. Well, John, they said you may not speak because I had, like I told you, I had just slammed everything and told them what they was worth. Basically nothing, okay? <clears throat> so I said to him, I said, well, I speak to anyone if it's worth the conversation. And I turned and walked away. You don't come to me with that crap. They said you may not speak to me. If you got something worthy to speak about, then yeah. 
but you started out that you I may not speak. I just showed you. No, I'm not gonna speak to you because that's what you believe anyway. And let me let me and I Bill, I can keep you on here a month, but I'm not gonna do that to you, my dear. I know, and I have one last question for you. So please finish your thought and then I'll ask you that okay. question. Uh my last, my last, uh one of my last incidents with one of my many was where I was in a board meeting when I was at the CDA. And one of the board members, which he, I found was very down to earth and realistic, he asked me a question. He said, John, this is after I presented my report for the month and stuff like that. He said, John, is minorities getting access to capital? And I said, Joe, you want me to, you want, you want me to, you want the real deal or you want me to sugarcoat? Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, give me the real deal. And I said, this is what I said there. Hell no. I said, you want to know why? He said, yeah, tell me why. I said, because the landscape hasn't changed. And what I was trying to get him to understand is as long as the majority of, of decision makers are white, yeah. people, minorities are not going to get access to capital. Yeah. And he knew exactly what I was saying. Meant exactly. There's only one way, one way to take it. That's right. And uh, okay. And he said, okay, I got you. And that was that was one of my last really uh, where I made a point that, you know what, I've known the game. I'm in the middle of the game and I know how it's played. I've, I've given access to a lot of minority businesses and individuals when I was in the North End of Harford. And a lot of them will tell you that, okay? Because mm -hmm. I, one of my things, I always said, Bill, I'll do this, but if you, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you mess it up, you ain't got to worry about ever getting another one, okay? Right. From anybody. I only had one loan default in all my years at, uh, at when I was in banking, one loan. Because everybody knew, I don't play that. Because okay? mm -hmm. I'm doing this for not you, but everybody. That's right. So you give, if you make it bad for everybody, I'm going to make it bad for you. And that ties into what you were saying. It's not about me. It is about we. That's right. Absolutely. So that's it, my dear. What you got? My last question to you is what is your words of advice or, yeah, your words of advice to any minority student athlete? today like in the grant no matter what the no matter what the um the sport no matter what the position what words of advice do you have for minority student athletes who are on predominantly white campuses today and maybe this even applies to students who are on HBCU campuses too I I, I I will say this here I have what they call the AB plan okay mm-hmm that AB plan is this here. You have a number of athletes, and under A is athletic. Okay. You coming in there because based on your athletic abilities. Okay. B, okay, is your backup. Mm -hmm. okay? That backup may be, you know, which is what are you there for? You're there for an education. That's okay? right. That's what you. That's what you are. I always say to them, flip the script. It should be a BA plan, not an AB plan. Your primary is your education. Your backup is your athletics. Mm -hmm. If at any given point in time your athletics are hindered based on whether it's an injury, 
or inability to exceed or play or contribute to that sport again, you still got your brain. That's right. Okay. So I call it the BA plan and never realized that. And the reason why I say that, because when I brought that out, that was uh, in, in conjunction with Art Monk and his wife. They were at, when I was speaking, I brought that AB plan out and, uh, and, and talked about flipping the script. And she said, Desiree was his wife. She said to me, John, I never heard it that way. I said, you know what? I didn't think about it until after I flipped it and realized it says BA for basketball. Mm -hmm. That's right. Okay. That's right. Okay. So, so my thing is, is you're not there for the the athletics. You're there for the brain food. So, always have your fallback plan. Is this here? Is that you're as long as you got the academics, you will continue forward. You can lose that opportunity if your athletics fail, not based on what you, that, you know, it was something that materialized an injury or whatever could stop what you're dreaming about going to the next level, whatever that may be. So mm -hmm. I always say, understand, what are you there for? Right. You're there for the education. Right. Everything else is secondary and everything else could and can be uh, beneficial, but let the top one be the primary. So, and then always have self-confidence. If you don't believe in you, who you think will? Mm -hmm. Okay. Who Very you true. think will? Okay. So I always believed that I was the best in whatever I uh, uh, um, was involved with or participated in. I always, and, and, and it could be based on whatever position. When I was a center in high school, I was told in my freshman year by a guy that was a senior to me stating that he was gonna be the starting center. And I told him, I don't think so. My sophomore year, I was a starting center all the way through my three years at, in high school, as well as a starter and linebacker for three years, because I always believed that I was the best in that position, no matter where, what time it was. And that's what I did there. And that's what I did when I got to Syracuse. Mm -hmm. I proved that I was the best in the position that I played. So self-confidence, um, self-belief, Understanding your 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 inners, who you, and then in turn, but never forget why you're there. Why you're there. That's right. Why? Yes. Yes. I love it. This has been really awesome, and I can't thank you enough for sharing your journey, and more importantly, your contribution to creating a better and um, safer space for minority student athletes and really students everywhere. Um, because you know you you're an example, and that's what all of us need, and we and we celebrate our living examples because you're a part of history. So well, you know you so much. Well, Barry, I appreciate this here. I I, I what three hours now. <laughs> I'm trying to edit it down a little bit, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know you will, but I think I just want to say to you, 
Um, what you've done here for me has given me another platform that uh, that gives me uh, uh, an opportunity to tell my story. Mm -hmm. Okay, and um, you know what I've given you uh, is is somewhat a tidbit, but I think informational. It was uh, uh, beneficial because it's it's real, you know, and that's all I can be at any given point in time is to keep it real. So you're no good people. I hope I met that profile uh, wholeheartedly in a sense of, but for you to listen and understand that, you know what, I'm, I'm just, I'm just one of them pieces of sand on the beach, you know, um, you know, but you know, that at um, least I can say that, you know what, I, 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 I did do the best I could do and what would I had, but also believe that, you know what, I, 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 I'm, I'm okay now. I'm yeah, you're okay. more than okay. You're yeah. more than okay. Yeah. And, you, and you have met all of my expectations. And in fact, you've exceeded all of my expectations. So um, I can't really, like I said, I can't thank you enough for doing this. Um, but, and also making me look good because all of you, all of my guests make me look good. Okay. And so I really appreciate that. And, um, and, and really to all of those who are out there listening today, I really thank them for joining me, but also learning, um, your story. Um, okay. because, you know, this is, this is what it means to be part of a no good people family. And so, okay. you know, again, thank you so much. And until next time, I'm Vera Smith Winfrey. And remember, it's always good to know good people. The No Good People podcast is co-produced by Kennedy Gale Productions and So Very Vera Productions. Music produced by Trevor Pitts of Pitts Campaign Music. The No Good People podcast can be streamed through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other selected streaming services.